0: If you have your Bible today, we want to ask you to turn to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra will be in chapter 9. If you're here and worshiping with us for the first time, we want to say welcome. We are excited and delighted to have you. And we praise the Lord for what God is going to do in your life. And uh, maybe through the word this morning, he will encourage you and strengthen you. What a journey it has been in the book of Ezra. Amen. Has God spoke to you through Ezra? Amen. Well, if not, I hope so. Uh, we kind of turn. Today, we, we turned a couple of weeks ago, and Ezra started his journey to Jerusalem. We've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks, but today we really get down <coughs> to where the rubber <coughs> meets the road. And when I had preached through Ezra some 10 years ago, probably, I actually preached 9 and 10 together. And Man, I was talking to Pastor Ralph about and he said, well, I did the same thing. And I said, well, I just don't believe that's what the Lord is speaking to us today. I believe there's some fresh revelation in verse 9. So let's look in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 1. After these things had been done, the leaders approached me and said, now what had been done? Well, you remember we looked at all that last week. The faith, the fasting, the believing God down by the riverbank. Trusting God, the journey to Jerusalem. After they made it there and they was getting ready to have revival, getting ready for the moving of the Spirit of God, when they came together, here's what the leaders came to him and said, Ezra, we've discovered a problem. And here is the problem. That the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, the religious leaders have not separated themselves from the world. They've not separated themselves from the surrounding people who are detest, have detestable practices, are like those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perserites, the Jezebites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and every other kind of ite you can figure. They're living just like them. Indeed, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so the holy people has become mixed. They have mixed the holy people with the world. They have mixed their seed, their offsprings, with the surrounding people. And the leaders and the officials have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. Underscore that in your Bible. The brokenness started at the top. And in this passage of Scripture, when we look at it, it says, And when Ezra heard this, he heard the report. He said, I tore my tunic and my robe. I even pulled out some of my hair. And I began to fast, and I began to pray, and I began to beg God because I sat down and I was devastated. You know, church, I believe that in the world that we live in, we get emotionally stirred up when we see videos like Planned Parenthood literally dividing babies' body parts and selling them and auctioning them off For profit. It stirs us. It may anger us, but it doesn't devastate us. I remember I I read this uh, email yesterday. It said the things that Starbucks does not want you to know. And uh, the interesting part of that was that basically it's this whole big video that. Starbucks is not friendly to the environment. They use wood products and their deforestation is a technical word. And there's this big campaign. And uh, I thought as I read that email, it wasn't what I thought. Because I remember about a year ago, the CEO of Starbucks, who I've been very fascinated with. Uh, just his leadership and his ability and what he does. Um. Uh, to build that company from nothing was phenomenal. But about a year or so ago, here the, the CEO changed, and it became a very anti-Christian company, basically to the point of if you're a Christian and you don't like it, sell your stock. Go join another company. We're not changing. And I thought about that, and, you know, where we are is there's no outrage. There's, there's indignation in our heart, but it never breaks our heart. It stirs us emotionally, but it never devastates us. And and so, you know, I thought about that as I read that email yesterday. I said, I wonder what would happen if the bride of Christ would become as outraged and as devastated and as passionate about Christian principles as the world does about deforestation. Is somebody out there this morning But see, when Ezra heard it, he had been preparing for this moment his whole life. The Bible says that he was a ready scribe. And as a ready scribe, he was waiting for an opportunity. The children of Israel had been waiting 60 years since they had built this fabulous tabernacle, this temple, to meet with God in it. Yet all of a sudden, when everything seemed to line up, and things were coming together supernaturally, there was a dam in the middle of the river. I was reminded of a story not long ago that I ran across. The story came from a very long time ago, but it was a farmer who had bought this ranch, and it was a great ranch, and it was prosperous, and he purchased it in the winter, and it was just a great piece of property. And when the summer came, all of his animals were dying because of a drought. They couldn't find any water and he drilled wells, and he drilled wells, and he drilled wells, and he could never hit water. And one day, one of the men was out riding the range, and he found a little moist spot. It was just damp, and he knew something was up because it was a drought everywhere, and all the grass was dead, kind of like now, and um, it just there was no moisture anywhere. And so he went back, and he reported it, the moisture, and when he, the owner of the ranch came out to where the moisture was, he began to dig, and he began to dig, and as he dug down, he, he found debris, wire, dirt, metal, tin, rotten wood, and so as he began to dig down, it began to be a little more moist. And so, boy, all of a sudden, he's thinking, I, I, man, here it is. And so they dug and 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 they pulled all this debris out and it was everywhere and this debris was scattered all over the countryside as they were taking it out and all of a sudden, but the deeper they dug, the the more moist it would become. And finally, after they dug down to about 12 feet, they hit water. And what had happened was somebody came along and dammed up the water source and the water just began to flow and it began to flow and it began to flow and it began to flow now I know you hear me knocking right here because you know where I'm heading so go ahead and open the door and let me in because what God is saying here in a unique way is that we have dammed up the water source of heaven and we're pointing to the world and saying why in the world godly when God is pointing to the church And saying, why isn't the bride of Christ godly? Are you out there this morning? And we have dammed up the riverbed. We have dammed up the wellhead with debris. Before Ezra ever got started, he received a report. You know why he was devastated? Because the power of God could not move when the people of God were not right with God to see a move of God. Today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to understand that buildings and big budgets and big churches and big temples and big cathedrals and mega churches and big entertainment will not bring about the revival of God. But the revival of God will start when the people of God get to the place where Ezra was and say, Lord God, I'm devastated. Lord, I'm heartbroken. Lord, I don't know what to do because of sin, sorrow, and death. God, I need you more than ever before. Amen. You see what happened here in this passage of scripture was, there was we needed to see the catalyst for restoration. The season was right, the time was right, the wind was right, the temperature was right. Everything was right for the moment of restoration. They had the man of God, they had the people of God, they had the building of God. They were in the land of God, but there was no power of God. Because there will be no power of God apart from the pathway of God. The order of God. God has order. And when we get out of order, everything is out of order. If you want to be blessed, you have to be blessable. See, what happened in verses 1 through 2 was there was this overall evaluation. The leaders took the inventory. We're looking to the world saying, why ain't the world godly? How in the world could somebody strip away body parts? How in the world could we get caught up in in, in rulings and decrees that are coming out of our courtrooms that are so anti-Christ? You see, we shouldn't be surprised when the world acts worldly. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I know you're fixing to pick up what I'm putting down, I hope. We shouldn't be surprised when the world acts so worldly, they're just doing what they know to do. We ought to be surprised when the people of God abandon the lordship principle. When they quit dying to themselves. We ought to be angry that the church of God, the bride of Christ, isn't filled with the power of God because they've dammed up the riverbed of the Holy Spirit. Oh listen today, it's not that God doesn't want to. It's not that you've got to beg God for it. God longs to send revival. God longs to send restoration. God just has to get us to the place that we're willing to evaluate ourselves. There was an overall evaluation. And they came to Ezra and said, we have discovered the problem. It started with us. Our priests, look at it. Our priests and our Levites, the men of God, have intermingled with the world. I mean, when you turn on the television, church, are you not just appalled week after week when you see men of God endorsing principles that are contrary to the word of God? I tell you, it blows me away. I'm not, I'm not bum-fuzzled when the world does what the world should do. I'm bum-fuzzled when the people of God that call themselves men of God that ordained to be the bride of Christ and lead the bride of Christ to do the things the world does. See, in this passage of scripture, there was an overall evaluation. They said, we have a problem. Today we we have an overall evaluation. We have a problem. Church, the, the church is looking to Washington for the solution, and God is looking to the church. I love this little saying. If you've been around, you've heard me say it. Somebody once said if you have a messed up man, you have a messed up home. And if you have a messed up man and a messed up home, you end up with a messed up church. And if you end up with a messed up man and a messed up home and a messed up church, you'll end up with a messed up town. And if you have a messed up man and a messed up home and a messed up church and a messed up town, you'll end up with a messed up parish or county. And if you have a messed up man and a messed up home and a messed up church and a messed up parish, and you will end up with a messed up state. And when you have a messed up man and a messed up home and a messed up church and a messed up town and a messed up county and a messed up state, you'll end up with a messed up country. Church, I want you to know today that we are in a mess that we have created. God's looking for somebody to rise up and say, we got a problem. When Ezra heard it, he was devastated. He was devastated so much that he began to pull his hair from his head. I know some of you as angry when you watch the news. But has it it moved you to the point of fasting and praying and weeping and crying out for God? See, what God is looking for is men and women of God who are willing to pray like never before, willing to fast like never before. And you say, well, it's your fault, Pastor. Why don't you call the prayer meeting in the fasting time? Well, I could call him, but you most folks wouldn't come. See, the burden didn't start with Ezra. The burden started with the people. And the people of God came to the man of God and said, we've got a problem. And the man of God was so broken, he had just got there. He didn't know anything. The honeymoon was over. And this overall evaluation led to a personal examination of Ezra. I mean, look at it right here in verses 2 through 7. We read some of it. Pick it up in verse 4. Everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles, while I, Ezra, sat devastated under the evening offerings. At the evening offering, I got up from my humiliation with my tunic and my robe torn. Then I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord, My God, and I said, God, I am ashamed. I am ashamed to lift up my face even towards you because of our sin is higher than our heads. Our guilt is higher than the heavens. Our guilt has been terrible from the days of our fathers until the present. Because of our iniquities, we have been handed over. Along with our kings and our priests and our sufferings, our surroundings, And the sword of captivity and the plundering and the open shame as it is today. I mean, is this like we're we're watching our local news or what? Open shame everywhere. He says, man, there's open shame everywhere. And in this passage of scripture, it's so interesting of what God is doing. and, 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 And he says, my goodness. My goodness. Ezra began to examine his heart. How do we bring about restoration to a hurting city? Church, we got to start. We got to start by saying, God, if I've not been part of the solution, I've been part of the problem. If we really want to see restoration break out in a city that leads to revival, revival that leads to restoration, however you want to look at that. It will not happen on an unbent knee. We'll have to get a heart for God that we're no longer angry about our sin, but we're embarrassed. We're broken. We're broken. And we're devastated. And we're begging God. See, there was an evaluation and then when they evaluated the whole body, Ezra didn't, you know what, Ezra reminded me of David. Ezra reminded me where David said, search me, O God, and know my ways. Try me, O Lord. See if there be any wickedness in me. Restore in me, O Lord, an un, a right spirit. And Psalms. When we look at this and we connect all these dots, it was so interesting. It kind of reminds me of that old gospel song that says, It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God is wanting to do a work. and Here's what Ezra realized. Ezra brought about a divine. He realized that there was a divine intervention. He realized there was a divine exaltation that God had given They evaluated the situation. Ezra personally examined himself. In personally examining himself, he realized that heaven was exalting a pathway forward. Look at it right here, if you will, in verse 8. But now for a brief moment. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole book of Ezra. But now for a brief moment, grace has come from the Lord. Our God to preserve a remnant for us. And to give us a stake, a peg in his holy place. I love that phrase. To give us a peg in his holy place. Something to grab onto and believe God. Because look at what he says. He has given us this place for a brief moment, a remnant. To give us a place in his holy place. Even in our slavery. God has given us new life and light to our eyes. Though we were slaves, our God has not abandoned us in our slavery. But He has extended, underscore it in your Bible, He has extended grace to us. In the presence of the Persian kings, giving us new life, that we can rebuild the house of God. So the repairs and its ruins, to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Now our God, what can we say in light of all this? We abandon your commandments. Here's what Ezra realized. He realized that it was in a ba- they were in a bad place. He realized the wellhead had been dammed up. He realized the Holy seed had been intermingled, but he realized he had a promise from God. He realized that he was sent there on a mission to restore the move of God, the power of God, the presence of God upon Jerusalem. Ezra realized it wasn't about the wall, it wasn't about the homes, it wasn't about the building, it wasn't about Judah, it wasn't about Jerusalem, it wasn't about the temple. It was about the coming power of God upon that place. And God looks at them in all their brokenness. I mean, Ezra looks at them in all their brokenness and all their bondage. And here's what he says. Good news. God has preserved a remnant. He's left us a peg by his grace to seek and to save those which are lost. And immediately, immediately, he began to exalt. The name of Jesus it's what we just did in that song. We just exalted the name of Jesus. You're high and lifted up. That second verse said, "Woe when I was unclean and I was undone, when I was broken and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know where to turn, Woe unto me, God was the bringing about the victory. He was still high and lifted up. Listen, when we're broken, when we're in shambles, when we're in despair, God is not. And God had given a promise. God gave a promise right here to the children of Israel in the book of Ezra that a revival could come, restoration could come. And Ezra began to declare it. He began to point the way. Only a couple of times in the Bible do I know where God didn't grant a remnant. One of them was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Enough was enough. He let just Lot and his family escape. Not even all of them made it out. The other verse I always found interesting was in Jeremiah 15 and 1. The Lord said to Jeremiah, even if Moses and Samuel should stand before me and pray for these people, my compassions would not reach these people. Send them out of my presence. Only two places in the Bible that I know God wasn't granting the measure of grace, the measure of revival. He was about to destroy Nineveh. Bible says in the book of Jonah that he repented from the disaster that he was bringing upon them why? because their hearts were bent back towards God I get so frustrated with all the brokenness and the crime in our city and our first instinct is to lash out to the, about the police bless God they just do their job they just make an example listen they're getting enough Police in the world to fix a spiritual problem with an earthly solution. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? There was this divine revelation that God would be exalted. And you know what happened in verses 9 through 10? Well, let's read it and see. In verse 11 it says, And you gave your servants a prophet, saying, The land and the entire entering you to possess this whole area, the surrounding people, you have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness, by their impurity, and by their uh, detestable practices. So you did not give your daughters and their sons into marriage and their kings and all these things. It lists everything they had done wrong. And then in verse 14 it says, Should we break your commandment again and again and again and intermarry with people who commit these detestable practices? Would you become, would you become so angry with us that you would destroy us, leaving no survivors? Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. For we survive as a remnant today. Here we are before you with our guilt. No one can stand before you in your presence because of this. But we are standing before you with great expectations. Where our expectations lie? Do we have great expectations? Listen, this is a, you said, boy, a lot of that was negative, Pastor. It was. It was. But, boy, it was positive. Because God said, I've given a remnant to bring about revival. You know what God is looking for today? The remnant. The remnant who will bring about revival. Revival and restoration to a city will not come. It will not come because you schedule a meeting. It will not come because you get the best evangelist in the world. I mean, after all, no disrespect, because I love his preaching, but we are where we are today as a nation under the preaching of one of the greatest evangelists in the world, Billy Graham, who filled Colosseum after coliseum after Colosseum after coliseum. And people after people after people were giving their hearts to Christ. But I'm afraid that we want to intermingle the thing of the world with the thing of Christ. You see, the Bible says no man can serve two masters. He'll either love one or hate the other. And today what God is looking for is men and women, boys and girls, who will just say, you know what? God, I agree with what you said in your word that you have given us a measure of grace. And we are living in that dispensation of grace. So let the church rise up. Let's make a difference. Your head bowed this morning. Who would go with me? Who would be one of the ones that would take that journey? Maybe you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you want to do that today, just give your heart to Him. Maybe you're here and you went through a religious experience. But boy, you have never sold out to lordship. Maybe you're here and you love that thought of heaven, but you've never sold out to follow what God has for your life. Then maybe you're here today and your heart's right with God. But maybe you just need to make your way to this altar and get with what God is saying. Get over our pride. Get over ourself. And get to the place to where the Holy Spirit can move. Maybe we just need to turn our eyes to Him today. And say, Lord, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, Lord, it's me. God, I need you to move in my heart, in my life. God wants to do something special in our life.